0: It's Philosophy Friday, and I've got Dan with me again. Hey, Dan, welcome back. Hi, I'm back. <laughs> and it's actually Friday. This is amazing. It's yeah, weird... hey, incredible. We've been talking for t- over 26 hours. <laughs> um, uh, now I, I just could, we couldn't leave well enough alone and we're going to go after some of this Christ and culture stuff. Um, bring it and, on, bring it on. And so uh, I think let's start. I'm always much more comfortable. I get I, I get a little bit lost uh, even talking to my brothers sometimes when we start to get into the higher end of theology stuff. I'm always mm-hmm. a bit more comfortable when we're talking about sort of exegesis and stuff. So um, let's start there, shall we? And uh, it's philosophical because we're talking about Christ and culture. But let's start with the whole cultural mandates and um, uh, what's the other one? Great Commission and how they relate yes. together. Yeah. So
1: um, you, want, you want my take on it? Go on. Yep. So I, I, I have a kind of a pattern, my biblical theology. So I think the key thing is all of us in the reform world, the evangelical world, again, we, we all have a kind of a, a, a now and not yet eschatology. The question always is some of us are more now and some of us are more not yet. And I think we also have a basic creation, fall, redemption, consummation, biblical theology. But of course, where you put the stresses and the emphases, I think to a large extent, um, um, if you press the button, then you end up with these different positions, which are you know called 2K or 1K or or whatever. So I think for, for me, the key points are um, um, Adam... Is uh, called to fill and subdue the earth, to tend and keep the, the, the garden. He's given a cultural mandate. He is a you know, God is a speaker and a maker. We're made in His image. We have a representative function, and I think all of us would agree with with that. The key thing for me is is strangely the Noahic Covenant. What is the Noahic Covenant? What happens in the Noahic Covenant? And that seems to be the um the the departing point for what might be a two kingdoms, whether it's Klein or Van Drunen. Um, because they have the idea that this is covenantally now a covenant of common grace and that whatever happens now in um the um, in to Israel or in in the law is a kind of an exception and the common way in which christians and non-christians are to be together is this common grace state from Noah now I just have a i just don't agree with that in terms of the exegesis and um, there's lots of things that we could talk about but but for me therefore um Jesus when he comes as the second adam so if you go from kind of we're called to rule. That rule is ruined by the fall. Um, it's restrained in in the, co- in the covenant of Noah, role-modelled by Israel, and then what I'm going to call redeemed um, by Jesus. Jesus is the second Adam. He, he is the man of culture par excellence. Um, uh, at, in his resurrection, the new creation has begun, and in our union with him, therefore, um, we take up, uh, not in a redeeming way, but just as um, we are called to be holy because God God is holy. So in Christ, um, our, our good works, uh, they're not meritorious, um, but we are to be disciples. We are to be faithful to our calling to fill and subdue the earth. And I don't think that I think that mandate is there now. Of course, the difference is the only way that culture can be transformed is by people being converted. And so evangelism remains central or ultimate, as Chris White would say. But that's why I see the Great Commission is not a, um, it's a kind of a full, it's a, a, a reiteration of the cultural mandate given the nature of sin and the need for conversion. It's not as if those two tracks are parallel. It's not the cultural mandate is abrogated or nullified, which I think would be more of a kind of a particular perspective. So for me, the Great Commission is none other than a republication and people are sent out from the church um, to fill and subdue. And that's necess- that will necessarily be always evangelistic because we're talking about um, uh, our, our roots being, um, yeah, we're being built up in Christ and not captive to philosophy and uh, deceit, which is that famous Colossians 2 passage. So there is a cultural war going on, there is a cultural battle, and um, um, there isn't a kind of a common grace. State Com- I do believe in common grace, and I believe it is um it does restrain sin. I do not believe it is the basis on which we are to build culture um and that okay. so there would would be some of the nuances i mean we can go into a lot more detail, but that's basically where i'm I'm coming from
0: okay that that's okay yeah that's it's really interesting, really helpful as well because it's what's weird to me though is that even though I would execute certain points. Differently, or maybe like describe things differently. So I do see Noah as a as a common grace covenant. I just preached on that as well. So well, okay, so maybe um, maybe well, I if no, I just I think, ask you yeah, questions, yeah, you are, okay, yeah. and then I'll I'll like cross examine you, and you can answer, and then because otherwise we're not going to have time for both views to be yeah, fully demonstrated. Fine. So let, let me just <laughs> ask you questions. Um, yeah. uh, so okay, wh- one maybe this will be a, a helpful question to kind of draw out some of the, the nuances is let's say you're preaching through, uh, Noah, you're preaching through yeah. Genesis six to nine and yeah. uh, you're coming to that kind of, uh, when Noah is, is given the cultural mandate of Adam again, after the flood, yes. it's like a yes. new, new creation, yeah. new start, new Adam, if you like. And yeah. he's going out into this new world to do what Adam should have done. Uh, the whole thing falls foul, but, um, He's given that mandate. Now, does that mean uh, that as Christians, we have to uh, have at least three children? (laughs) (laughs) I I mean, if the the cultural mandate still applies as it is to Christians today, does that
1: genuinely mean that we need
0: to uh, get married and have children?
1: I, I think it's... Uh, I don't think... I think it's been... As in, I wouldn't want to draw that level of detail, given all kinds of issues in terms of how it, being individuals in different um, circumstances and contexts, and because we still live in a, in a fallen world. I think there is a general thing, though, of filling and subduing. And, of course, filling is not, filling is not simply about procreation. It, it does include that. But filling is also... Um, all the creative cultural acts that we do—it's about having dominion. It is about tending against the relationship between tending the garden and keeping the garden. It's about natural development. I think it's about following God's blueprint for creation, and that redemption is a um, well, grace restore in Bavinck's terms. Grace restores and perfects nature. Um, there's an interesting bit where in, in the dis- in the discussions on the two K one K position, where. Um, uh, Van Drunen says something like the new creation is not the old creation gained; it's new creation. And I would want to say no. Um, there's no um, redemption is the the, the perfection uh, or its grace restored um, uh, creation. So there's much more continuity, I think, in, in in my model. And I think what happens in in Genesis in those passages with Noah, the key things for me are it is a it is a recreation story which is important not in order in you know at, at a general level i think the key thing is also is what's happening covenantally there so if you're a, someone like david van jr and you think there were two covenants there's kind of a, a creation covenant or a common grace covenant and there's noah as the kind of an elect i just see one covenant going all the way through from wherever it's genesis six to nine and and that you know it, it, who, one of the key questions is who does noah represent and that the problem is, is that Noah represents; um, he's the only person left. So, mm-hmm. in some ways, he represents the whole of humanity. But he also represents God's people. But he's also a type of Christ, and certainly in the New Testament, that's why I think it is a. I think it is a the Noahic covenant is a redemptive covenant with universal implications, which is why I still am happy to talk about common grace and the Noahic covenant. Okay, that's that's interesting because I think I would see
0: it exactly the opposite way, as in, <laughs> as in uh, the Noah covenant is a, com- a covenant of a common grace covenant, uh, but typologically has redemptive implications.
1: Yeah, but so how do you understand the, the 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 pleasing offering after the sacrifice? I mean that that is very. I mean that is a kind of a sacrificial, redemptive kind of covenantal act. Yes.
0: Yeah. No. I, I mean it, it is. It's it's it's. Uh, uh, it's Noah representing all of humanity and offering worship to God, which is what all humanity is supposed to do, but don't do. Right. Um, yeah. the, so I think key for me in that little section is, you know, when Noah curses, uh, uh Ham and yeah, the line yeah. of Canaan, um, and then he blesses, um, the other guys, Japheth yeah. and, and, and Shem. Yeah. And what's really, I think, uh, you know, ties these things together, is that when you're in that blessing on 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 Shem and Japheth, he's basically that Japheth is going to spread out through all the world, but then also is going to dwell in, this, in the tents of Shem. And so you've got this kind of, I think, common grace thing going yeah. where uh, the world is going to be filled and populated, according to the, covenant, uh, the common grace covenant in Noah. But then there's also this Hint towards the redemptive because those guys are going to be drawn back again into the tents of Shem, yeah. uh, which, as we know, the Semites, yeah, yeah. which is the line of yeah. a- Abraham, which is uh, leads us to Jesus. So, um, yeah, so it's, it's that dynamic. You've you've got yeah, them yeah. running side by side, I guess.
1: Yeah. I mean, some one um, if people if people listen to the podcast want something to look up, and again, it would be kind of coming from the perspective that I've outlined. But uh, a few years ago, um, London Seminary, and you can find it on, the, on on the web. Gary Williams, who used to be a colleague of mine at Oak Hill, who's now the director of the um Pastors Network in London Seminary, they did a whole conference on Noah and Gary's exposition of the Noahic Covenant, including that passage that you just talked about. Yeah. I found that I find that a very persuasive exegesis. And it's a kind of his his um uh his dialogue partner, although he's not there, is 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 Van in terms of critiquing Van Drunen. But I think that's a it's a, I'd be very interested to know what your readers make of that particular listeners? what your listeners might make of that exposition
0: Uh, it sounds to me like i need to read van drunen i know i know that mike has read him and was kind of
1: a little bit underwhelmed i think well i think though the great thing is that i mean he's written a lot of stuff he's he he is kind of like you know the the godfather of the modern two kingdoms movement i mean and, and horton to a less extent but more Van drunen but He's living in God's two kingdoms. The thing about it is that it's a, it's well-written, it's, okay. it's accessible, and you yeah. get a real sense of where he's coming from right. and, yeah. and what some of the issues are. I mean, the, where he kind of um, – the biggest problem I have with the book is that he sets the stakes very high at the beginning because he's because he, he's because his kind of um, critique is uh, new perspective on Paul, the emerging church, and neo-Calvinism – and um, which I wouldn't kind of put myself in any of those categories, really. But his big contention is, if you still believe in the cultural mandate today, you are implicitly denying justification by faith, and that's how he starts. <laughs> <the voice>. So <laughs> he, he starts pretty stratospheric on what. What's
0: Okay, wow. So do you and deny justification by faith
1: Yes, exactly. That's the issue. Now, yeah. I just don't see, I just think that's uh, that's not a very helpful way of putting it. But Now, it might be the case in terms of those particular positions, but I do not believe that culture building is me earning or gaining my salvation. No. I, want make, I want to make that clear for the podcast viewers.
0: Also, I think it's important to say that I, I, I do. I do believe in in Christians. So I, I do believe that to become a Christian is to become more human. You know, it's to yeah. become it's to become human essentially as we were intended to be, um, and therefore to to become a Christian is to play a role in culture. So. I think, yeah. in some sense, I, I'm not. I'm not trying to get to a different goal, which is why I think I find the subversive fulfillment thing really helpful because it's it's helping me achieve that. The difference is yeah. I, I'd create a distinction between uh, the vocation of the Christian in the world and the calling of the church as being a separate sacred calling. So. Um, So that's how the two kingdom things happen. So the mission of the church is to proclaim the gospel and to convert people to become Christians in the church, which will repopulate the new heavens and the new earth. But as Christians, our vocation in the world um, is to fulfill the cultural mandate. Uh, and say so to be the best shoemakers, to be the best, whatever. Yeah, is. We, uh,
1: we might be. Yeah, we might be closer than you think. If we, if we had, you know, hours and hours to talk about it, I, th- I think we'd probably get there. I think one of the interesting things is, and you'll know in this these conversations where people start kind of um, rebaptizing all the older historical figures as having their positions. So there's a big discussion about what of believed, what Calvin believed, uh, on all of this. Yeah, yeah, what, yeah. One of, the, what, one of the most interesting things for me is, I think is the discussion about Augustine, because I think Van Drunen misunderstands or misreads Augustine in terms of what the city of God and the city of man are. Um, and that's where I think I've been, um, Jamie Smith's new book, Awaiting the King, which I mean, I've got questions about Smith on some of his anthropology and some of his moods, but his last book in this series, called Awaiting the King, um, reclaiming, reforming public theology, um, is excellent where um i think he really does in a good way critique van joon for a misreading of augustine and the key thing is that augustine's city of god and city of man they are both visions of heaven and earth it's not as if you have these two layers or you have the city of man is penultimate and the city of god is ultimate it's that both are visions of everything and that they are in conflict with each other and um how does that play out and um, there's some interesting Augustinian um, discussion there. Also from a Baptist position, Jonathan Lehman's book, Political Church. Where, yeah, um, actually, I thought that was a brilliant book. That's very helpful. Now, yeah. again, I'm not, I am not—I don't quite agree with him on the Noeg stuff, but his setting up of the issue. And, it, I mean, in his review of the Smith book, he's, he's, he says, um, you know, so you've got a kind of a nine marks Baptist, and you've got kind of a middle-of-the-road kind of Christian reformed guy coming from quite different evangelical worlds. But Lehman says, "You hey, look. The key thing that unites us is that we're both Augustinian. We're sitting in the same Augustinian room. We're sitting in the same Augustinian room. We're sitting on different sofas." Yeah, but yeah. I think that's where I place myself in that kind of Augustinian kind of position on these kinds of issues.
0: Yeah, and and I uh, I think it's really important. It's a good note to end on because um, as I mentioned to you, I think off air. Uh, that Mike's been doing some stuff on the controversy with Frame and Horton and the Escondido yeah, thing, yeah, yeah. and just really, it's a real shame that yeah. uh, that if to what extent Frame's kind of um, grievance is true, and that he was basically you know forced out for being a Carperian, yeah, you know, that is that's nonsense. That should never happen in a reformed world. Yeah.
1: You know, and I mean, it's interesting for me having kind of read all these uh, guys, and they are mainly guys, uh, across the Atlantic and not knowing any of the history and the politics. I kind of you know, I kind of don't see all that. It's For me, it's the kind of the theology. And now, of course, we have our own politics and personalities and issues here. But it is sad when you see that kind of tit for tat and, uh, and you don't know all, all, all the details. Um, and I think it really is important in terms of, yeah, the virtues of a theologian and the ethics is to be dealing with the issues and not do ad hominem or arguments, and just try and, you know, is is this what the Bible is saying on the issue? I think yeah. that's
0: quite important. Brilliant.
1: Well, uh, Dan,
0: again, thank you so much for taking the time. Uh, there's a lot more we could obviously say on this topic, yeah. but uh, but you're a busy man, and, and so. always
1: always happy to engage clients on anything. they want. Oh well, we'll have to get you and Mike talking about Klein. I, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I've got great. I've got my my secret confession is I haven't even finished reading Kingdom Prologue yet. You know, well, I, 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 it's, not, I, it's not well, it's not an easy read. I think even the most a uh, strong advocate of Clive would recognize. Like Vantell, it's not the easiest read. No, absolutely. Well, I think Mike says if you want to get into
0: Clive and read uh, God, Heaven, and Harmageddon first. and okay. then, Yeah, start with that one. But, uh, yeah, I haven't actually – so I just – from hearing uh, Mike and others talk about him, from the little bits that I've read, you know, shorter articles and things like that, um, I think there's a lot of good stuff about climb, but, um, yeah, but, but I think Mike has some, some points of critique as well. And, uh, yeah. and so do I, I think, um, I think on this issue, uh, it's, it's good to have the conversation. I don't think, yeah. you, I don't think actually in, in day to day application, we're going to end up in wildly different points though in some, in the ways that we approach some issues uh, yeah, maybe coming from at least a different way of thinking, and also may, yeah, maybe
1: different, yeah. I guess. But, but the um, key thing is, is kind of all, all I want to do here, whatever position you take, is to realize the theological presupposition on which you face your public engagement is that it's based on your anthropology and to theology. And that's why, I mean, again, it's obvious, people who listen to this podcast, but why the, theology is so crucial. Yeah. um, If you only have a pragmatic view, it won't get you very
0: far. No, no, brilliant. Great. Again, thank you, Dan. Thanks for the time. And uh, yeah, I hope uh, hope things continue to go very well for you guys over at Oak Hill. God bless. Blessings.
1: Thank you.